Hello and welcome to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins, the podcast where we anticipate an experience with the Lord on each and every episode. Thank you so much for listening today, and my prayer is that you will be strengthened, encouraged, and challenged in your daily walk with the Lord as you listen. The primary purpose for this podcast is to be a source of inspirational truth that will awaken a deeper hunger within you for the fire of God to burn brighter and hotter in your life. Leviticus 6.12 says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. This Old Testament verse spoke into the sacrificial burnt offering system of the temple, and it also reflects the fact that we as the bride of Christ are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have a responsibility to steward our walk with God and maintain His flame that He has ignited in our hearts. I am your host, Keith Collins, and I invite you to join me now as we explore biblical truths that will help us to maintain the flame of God upon the altar of our hearts. Hello and welcome to Maintain the Flame today. This is Keith Collins, and I am blessed that you're listening. And as always, I pray that this episode will be life-changing for you, that it will encourage you, that it will strengthen you in your walk with God. And that it will challenge you as you desire to go deeper in the purposes of God in your life. And um, as I've shared before, you know, I count it an honor and a privilege to be coming to you each and every week. We're reaching people around the world as well as throughout America. And it's a humbling experience knowing that that's taken place for me. And again, I consider it a joy and a true um, privilege and honor to be able to do this every single week. So thank you again for being a part of this. And I pray that this week really speaks to your heart. You know, I I, I asked the Lord what I was supposed to share on this week. And to be honest with you, I felt like I was supposed to come back and share one more episode on the fact that we need revival in the church. And I'll call this part three. About four four or five weeks ago, I did part one. Last week, I did part two. And I want to conclude this subject matter for now. I'm sure I'll probably come back to this at different times with different angles and maybe with different guests. But but I did want to finish up this week um, talking about revival again in the church. Again, as I've said, oftentimes when we think of revival, we think of... Uh, conglomerate of meetings, or we think of um, ongoing services, or we think of packed buildings and joy and all these things, and and all of those things can be present in the midst of revival. But that's not really what I'm focused on, and that's really not the thing that's upon my heart. When I think of revival, I literally think of a holy invasion by the Spirit of God. Linda Ravenhill said, Revival is God showing up because he's tired of men misrepresenting him, excuse me. And I I probably paraphrase that a little bit, but you get the meaning of what Ravenhill meant. And and again, when I talk about revival, I'm, again, not talking about some evangelist or some great preacher and, you know, some new set of worship songs that have people excited and encouraged. All those things can be fine and they can be utilized effectively, but... I'm talking about the very presence of the living God invading a people, a people that have paid the price in prayer, a people that are 
desperate for his glory to be revealed in their generation, a people that are at a place in life, in ministry, in church life, that they are no longer satisfied with going through the motions. Sunday morning services no longer suffice. Midweek Bible studies no longer get the job done. Vacation Bible school, um, you know, training of leaders, all these things. I mean, all those things are great, and they have their purpose, and I know the Lord uses them effectively. But when we come to a place, especially as we look at the condition of so much of a backslidden church world, as well as a nation and a world that is free-fallen into darkness, then there's something in the true child of God that awakens, and that awakening is a hunger for true revival to happen in the church, a hunger for the Lord Jesus to be seen in the midst of his people, a hunger for, um, again, an invasion of God showing up on the scenes. And, you know, I was in the Hebrides off of Scotland, and I've shared a little bit about this, but I just want to kind of bring this back again today, this experience that I had when I was there. A few years ago, I was on the island of Lewis where the Hebrides revival took place in 1949, and there had been other great moves of God on this island prior to that, but this was the one that that many people know about and that many people refer to when they talk about the Hebrides revival, and God used, of course, Duncan Campbell as his tool, his instrument during that season, as well as others like prayer warriors, Um, but One of the things that stood out to me regarding the history of this revival, and I've read this history, but I was also with a couple a few years ago that were in their mid-90s that were a part of the revival, and one one of the individuals, the gentleman, was actually saved in the revival, and the lady was actually a member of the church there in Barvis on Lewis Island whenever revival broke out, and they they explained um, the dynamic of what was taking place, and the thing that really stood out to me the most um, was not the fact that the building was full, not the fact that there was great songs and, and hymns being sung, not the fact that um, that people were even being saved, even though that's that's glorious and that's definitely a sign of real revival, but the thing that that stood out to me that, that I'll never forget was how they began to talk about how that the Lord was was brooding over the entire island, the entire region, that men would literally be out in the fields working and the Spirit of God would come over them, that that people would be... Um, you know, working even inside their homes and and just going about daily life and taking care of daily responsibilities, whether at home or at the workplace. And and the Lord would literally just brood over that people. And many of them were brought to deep, deep conviction and repentance, and their lives were so radically changed. And, you know, um, I've actually had people even recently, um, asked me, you know, you're always, or Keith, why are you always talking about visitation? Why are you always talking about revival? Don't you think we need habitation? And, and I understand that thought. And listen, I love the concept of habitation. I'm convinced that, that we're called to be a people of the spirit. I mean, we know that 
The Holy Spirit lives in us. We know that Jesus lives inside of us and that we are filled or we are immersed, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I understand that. I, I, I know what it's like to feel the anointing. I know what it's like to move in the gifts of the Spirit. I, I know what it's like to prophesy under the unction, the divine unction of the Holy Spirit. So I love the concept of habitation where the people of God are manifesting his glory in the midst of community and fellowship and feeding the poor and taking care of the widows and praying together, praying one for another. I love those things, and I'm all about habitation, where we're a people of worship, and the glory of God is the very air that we breathe. But can I tell you something? Um, Much of the church is not in that place, friend, and that's just a reality. Now, there are some, and I know some of these dear saints of God that are burning for Jesus. Their lives are counting for eternity's sake. They are making a difference in their generation, and I I applaud them. I thank God for them. Some of them are my dearest friends, but I also know that there are many people that are asleep and they don't even realize they're asleep. Keith Green, many years ago, wrote a song about being asleep in the light. In other words, having truth, having good doctrine, having good foundational teachings, kind of like the, the church of Sardis where they had a reputation of being good and even maybe being faithful, so forth and so on. But the reality was, it was just a reputation. And underneath, there was nothing of substance to even speak about. It's like they were a a hollow tree. A tree can look large in stature. But if there is decay or even maybe some type of insect or parasite that has eaten at the core of that tree, then that tree becomes a hollow giant. And eventually, that that weakness, that state of um, deterioration or emaciation begins to show up. And, and I believe that much of the church in the Western world especially is a hollow giant. We have a form of godliness, the Apostle Paul said, but we have denied the power thereof. So, so my heart, my friend, is that the Lord would visit his church, that, that he would hear the cries of the few. He would hear the cries of the minority. He would hear the cries of, of those that are willing to, to weep tears and to miss meals, to seek the face of God through fasting and prayer, that they are willing to align themselves with the heart of God. Because this, my friend, is the, the thing, as I've shared in two episodes on certain levels, this is the the place. This is the, the seedbed of revival. When a people are willing to lose their own lives in order to gain the life of the Spirit of Christ, to where, as I shared last week a little bit in Romans 8, where Paul talks about the Holy Spirit literally praying through us, and sometimes we don't even have human language to depict what we feel, but the Holy Spirit through groanings, the Holy Spirit through words that cannot be uttered, one translation says, begins to pray through us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit knows the mind of the Father. He, he knows the heart of the Father, and, and He prays through us, yielded vessels, men and women that have been crucified with Christ, men and women that have given themselves over to the eternal agenda of the Lord Himself, and their lives count for eternity. My friend, this is the the seedbed of revival. This is the place where purpose, destiny, 
eternity. They all come into view. This, this is the place where, as the old hymn says, where the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. Why? Because we become possessed with the purposes of God. Our lives become lives that are written upon and directed by the great director, the, the great um, production King of kings and Lord of lords, the the master of ceremonies takes the stage. He he takes charge and and he begins to use us for his glory effectively. And as a result of a people yielding to the Lord in these areas, my friend, that's what brings about true revival. And again, I'm talking about the church being awakened. You see, Second um, Chronicles seven eleven, of course, is the, the the primary verse that a lot of people use regarding revival. And, and I love it. And of course, you know what it says. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, will heal the land, heal their land. Of course, this is speaking of the children of Israel in one of their backslidden, idolatrous states. And the Lord said, here's a remedy for visitation. Here's a remedy that will bring about the spirit of the living God into the midst of the people of God. If they'll humble themselves, humility, if they'll seek His face, if they'll pray, if they'll lay aside the things of this world and something happens, God hears from heaven. He forgives them of their sin, their prayerlessness, their carnality, their worldliness, all the things that have kept them from Christ, that have kept them from burning for him. And what would he do? He will forgive them and he'll heal their land. In other words, he'll visit them in power and in demonstration. And I, I'm convinced that that's the, that's the need. That is the pressing need for the church. I've said it before, even on this podcast. We're good at doing church. We are good at orchestrating Sunday morning services, and we're good at setting up programs. You know, we're good at training people how to steward their money and how to be a better husband or a better wife. We are good at teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. We are good at teaching on prayer. We are good at teaching people how to how to be a better business person, how to be a better leader, how to be a better um a person in society. In other words, we've we've got all these things down pat on many levels and and we're good at that. But one thing we fail in, we fail in training people in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that, teaching people what it means to hunger for the Lord's glory to be manifested in their generation. Training people in prayer, not just saying, hey, this is how you pray. Let me give you nine steps to effective prayer. And there's, listen, there's some great books on on prayer, Mighty Prevailing Prayer. Uh, I think Norman Grubb is the author, if I remember correctly. Um, all the writings of Ian Bounds on prayer, and Bounds was known as the Apostle of Prayer. These are great inspirational teachings that we can glean from. But friend, I can know those books. I can read those books. I can know what the Bible says, Old Testament and New Testament regarding prayer. I can preach about it. I've taught prayer and intercession on a collegiate level for years, but I can do all those things and not know the Lord in prayer. And I believe that the church, even the church that is like Sardis, that has a reputation of being good and even being effective and productive, I believe so much of that um, 
so much of that group of people. And again, I'm not here to um, criticize or to judge. I'm just here speaking reality. Our, our nation is dying without Jesus. We are in the midst of a moral implosion. And the problem is the church on many levels. The church has lost her passion. The church has lost her prayer life. The church has lost the, the message of biblical holiness that is founded through an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The, the church has lost what it means to prioritize the Lord. In other words, we, we prioritize everything, our businesses, our jobs, our kids' sports programs, dance programs, gymnastics, um, festivals, holidays, um, you name it. We prioritize everything except Jesus, and we always have a reason why we can't seek the Lord. We always have an excuse why we just can't do it like the old people did. Well, let me tell you something. We are at a place now where desperate times call for desperate measures. And I believe the Lord is going to begin to put his finger on hearts. Even through this podcast today, I believe there are some that are listening to me that you are living your life in such a way that everything you have built yourself upon is temporal. Everything that you have focused your attention upon is temporal. Listen, I'm not saying you don't work. I'm not saying you're not faithful to what God has put under your authority. Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's a teaching career. Career, whatever that might be. But friend, whenever those things begin to trump your relationship with Jesus Christ and they take the place of the real purpose that you're on this earth, which is to bring glory to Jesus Christ, to rescue the perishing, to care for the dying, to be used as a, a, a vessel of prophetic intercession, to be used as a worshiper that will bring forth the glory of God, to, to be a disciple that is making disciples, whenever we neglect and negate these mandates upon our lives, and we have all the good excuses while we do it, friend, it is then that the church becomes so weak, so emaciated spiritually, so fragile. It is then that the church begins to operate out of learned behavior patterns. By default, we learn how to do church. But listen, religion is something we do because we fear that the Lord will not show up. And the reason that is, is because we're too busy for the Lord. We're too busy for revival. Listen, I was, again, a part of the Browns of Revival. We were in meetings pretty much most every night of the week, especially in the first few years. I mean, at least, you know, maybe one night a week off, and then it changed a little bit. But there was such a hunger. And again, it's not about just going to a bunch of meetings, but but we knew that God was doing something. What would happen in your community, in your church, in your fellowship, if the Lord broke out? And people begin to come even to your church and, and, and they begin to experience the power of God. Again, I know it's not about a building or whatever, but, but I also know that historically we've seen God visit places. Now, my heart, my passion, my desire, and even what I think is going to happen is that we're going to see an amazing move of God among the church. And it's not going to just be one location. I mean, God will use locations and communities and maybe certain church fellowships in order to reveal His glory. But, but I believe we're going to see it more widespread in this generation. But what are you going to do if God interrupts your life through visitation? 
What excuse are you going to have when the glory of the Lord is being revealed and, and you've got every, every excuse under the sun that you can line up why you can't be a part of what God's doing? Friend, I, I adjure you, I challenge you, I charge you as someone that, that loves the body of Christ, that loves the believers and the followers of Jesus Christ. Set your heart upon the Lord. Set your priorities in place. Don't miss what God is doing in your life personally as well as in the midst of his church in this generation. This is an hour where we must see the glory of the Lord revealed. The church has to wake up. You see, the um, the truth is that revival in the church presupposes um, a state of backsliding or declension among the people of God. In other words, why do we need revival? Because we're asleep. Why do we need a move of God? Because we don't know what a move of God is. There are some of us that have experienced the Lord. I have in different ways through revival in Pensacola, Florida, at the Brownsville Revival for years. In my own salvation experience, I've seen the Lord manifest His glory on fields in Africa where I've preached the gospel. I've seen the glory of the Lord revealed in um, way out of the way places in the mountains of Turkey and different parts of the world. But friend, it, it whets my appetite for a greater manifestation of the glory of God. And when I look at the, the lack of desire for Jesus in the midst of his church, I have to be honest with you, it breaks my heart. Listen, there are people that are more excited about um, the coming college football season than they are about prayer, than they are about worshiping Jesus. And I'm telling you, our appetites have to be awakened again. The Lord says, taste and see that I am good. Friend, do you know how good he is? Do you know that once you experience him, there is nothing that can or will ever satisfy you again. Maybe you know religion. Maybe you know good church services. Maybe you know good Christian music. You might even have your favorite preacher that you watch or listen to, or maybe even a podcast that that you tune into every single week because it's so inspiring. You can have all those things in your life and never change a thing in your life and just live your religious life um, learn Christian behavior life with no passion for hunger, no passion for thirst, no passion for revival, no passion for visitation. Friend, I am hungry. I am passionate. I am, I am messed up in a good way. I want to see Jesus glorified in America. I love my nation. I love the nations. I've, I've preached in dozens of nations around the world, as I've shared on this podcast probably multiple times over the last year or so since I've been doing this. And I love the nations. But, friend, my heart right now cries out for revival in the church of America. If the church does not wake up in America, I don't know where this nation will be five years down the road, ten years, twenty years down the road, if the Lord shall... shall um, Tarry his coming or shall, you know, withdraw his coming during the season. We know he's coming back. We don't know exactly when. But if he tarries, my friend, I don't know what will happen to this nation. But I'm telling you, the church, the church, the church is the front line. We are the ones that must make the stand. We're the ones that cannot be ashamed of the gospel. We're the ones that must humble ourselves. We're the ones that must seek his face. We're the ones that must turn from our wicked ways, our dead religion, our ability to live and do the things just like the world around us is doing, our ability to 
to use foul language, to use our tongues to curse people, to use our, our tongues to, 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 to say things that are good as well as say things that are bad. James says, out of the same mouth comes b- blessing and cursing. These things should not be. He said, the tongue is set on fire of hell. In other words, a people that will allow themselves to be sanctified through intimacy with Jesus to where their very words are seasoned with eternity, with eternal life, that they speak with the breath of eternity and their their hunger is venting. Their, 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 their passion, their thirst is venting through their hearts as they are so desirous to see the Lord glorified in their generation. You see, this is why we need visitation. This is why our young people who are dying all around us need visitation. I heard of another family just last night that their young, their young son, maybe mid-20s at the oldest, maybe late-20s, um, shot himself. I hear these things all the time, kids ODing on drugs. And I mean, I hear this stuff all the time. I've got a brother that is strung out on drugs right now, one that's in prison as well. Listen, I know what it's like to look at my own family and to see the the horror of sin, to see how the enemy has plundered a nation. And so much of this is even infecting the church. And I'm telling you, we need revival. You can say, man, you're just beating a dead horse you're old-fashioned quit talking about revival and let's just re- let's just act like we're revived and i'm not going to be a fool the church needs to be revived and um, friend of mine mike brown wrote in a book years ago he said the church needs a rude awakening not just an awakening we need a rude awakening in other words we need to um acknowledge the fact that that we have been backslidden you see, people become used to their backslidden state. And until God shows up in glory through visitation, oftentimes they are unaware of it. You see, many times, I believe, within the church, we look at ourselves. We look at others and we compare um, ourselves with other people in the church world instead of with a biblical pattern of what it means to actually be revived. The disastrous result of this practice is always spiritual blindness, spiritual deafness, and even a sense of spiritual reality. In other words, listen, I, I can look at many other people in the church and say, hey man, look at that guy or look at that girl or that lady or that man. I'm not doing near the things that they're doing. I, I mean, I'm paying my tithes. I'm going to Sunday morning meetings. I'm trying to make it to the Bible studies whenever it works out around the kids' um, baseball team and, and all the things that we do, or even my, my workplace. I'm, I, in other words, we can look at ourselves and compare ourselves with others, and we can feel really good about ourselves. Or we can get honest and transparent before the beauty and the holiness of Jesus, and we can allow His grace to infuse our lives. And bring us into a place of hunger and desperation. I've said this, I think, last week, but I want to say something like this again. To the church, revival can mean humiliation. What do I mean? I mean a bitter knowledge of unworthiness and an open, humiliating confession of sin on the part of the people as well as the leaders, the ministers. It's not just the easygoing thing that many think it to be, who imagine it just simply fills the the house with new people and and reinstates the church to power and authority. No, my friend, the reality is that true revival, true visitation comes to bring correction before it brings healing. It it comes to confront us 
um, due to our unfaithful witness of Jesus Christ, for our selfish carnal living, for the neglect of preaching the cross and the neglect of prayer and calls us to a daily life of consecration through intimacy, a deep place of devotion to the Lord. You see, I, I believe when we talk about revival, we've got to ask ourselves, are we willing to be transparent before the holiness of Jesus? Not how holy someone else is around us or not, but in the presence of the Lord. Because in light of this reality, we must answer the question, are we willing to live a life that brings glory to Jesus Christ alone? If not, and as I closed, I think last week, saying revival will be a thing of nostalgia, historical data. We love to talk about what God did in great revivals. And listen, I have studied hours, actually, about the history of revival. And they stir me. And these great moves of God encourage me. But, but listen, when I look at the condition of so much of the church in America and other parts of the world, my heart burns for Jesus to invade his church. I, I pray for a fresh awareness, a revelation of Jesus high and exalted in the midst of his church. A, a, a revelation one experience where John saw him starting around verse 9. And he said his, his face was white like the sun. His hair or his face was shining like the sun. His, his hair was white like wool. He said that his eyes were burning with fire. A sword protruded out of his mouth. And when John saw him, he fell like a dead man. God restore the reality of who you are, Jesus, in the midst of your church. Revival does that. Listen, revival reveals God's divine sovereignty. His glory takes preeminence. It also awakens spiritual preparation. In other words, we realize that we've got one life to live. And we begin to prepare ourselves through intimacy with the Lord, through knowing the Word of God, through spending time with brothers and sisters, through praying in secret as well as in corporate settings. Why? Because we know that we have to be prepared to do what calls us. I'm sorry, what God calls us to do. The fear of the Lord is actually restored in the midst of revival. In revival, the holiness of God's nature creates a healthy fear that leads men and women to righteousness and purity of heart. In other words, sin becomes exceedingly sinful in the presence of God's undeniable glory. Revival restores the suddenness of God. On the day of Pentecost, suddenly the Holy Spirit was poured out. And those in that upper room, that 120, were never the same again. We need an upper room suddenly in this hour, friend. The church needs that. We need divine magnetism. When you read about great revivals, when I've talked to some of those that were in these great moves of God, what I saw even in Brownsville, there's a, a divine magnetism. Listen, our world is anti-Christ. It is anti-Bible. We need a visitation of the Lord where the Holy Spirit draws men by his spirit the bible said except the spirit of god draw a man they cannot even come revival restores a divine magnet magnetism it, it it creates an ability to 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 preach 
a heaven opening message. Hell becomes real. Heaven becomes real. And the glory of the Lord fills the people of God. The preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the cross is infused with heavenly power, with eternity. Friend, this is what revival does. Revival brings eternity in review, or I'm sorry, in into view. It causes us to see through the eyes of eternity and the things of this world. They grow strangely dim. As Paul said, set your affection on things above. Revival re orients our affections and our passions and again as i have already said I'll, I'll close with this it also restores the reality of needed prayer and intercession among the people of god friend we need revival in the church it starts with you it starts with me it starts with a life or maybe a group of lives a group of people or maybe an individual that'll say jesus my life for your glory. Send your glory in this generation. I want to pray. Father, we, we pray that, that your glory would be revealed in the midst of your church again. We know what you have done throughout the ages. We know that there have been deep visitations of your spirit, great outpourings of your glory in the midst of your church. We also know that as a church we have... We have failed, Lord. We have fumbled the ball, so to speak, and we repent. We humble ourselves. We, we cry out to you. We seek your face. We ask, God, as we turn from our wicked ways, that you would come, visit us, revive us, restore us. May your spirit be present in our midst. Father, awaken your church from pastors and apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, those that are involved in training children and young people or those that are involved in leading prayer groups those that are involved in using instruments and even their voices to bring you glory through worship father those that maybe they're just they just feel like their their role is just to be helps or administration whatever the role is we all have a role father revive your people on every level of life and Lord Jesus, visit us in power in this generation. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame today. I pray that your heart is stirred as mine, as mine is. I pray that the Lord will continue to do a deep work in your spirit. And again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to stand with us, um, we are praying for more partners as the Lord continues to open up different doors by way of podcast, shortwave radio, some of the things that we feel in our heart we're supposed to do. If you'd like to stand with us, you can go to keith-collins.org and we have a giving or a donation button there you can press and Every gift is a blessing and deeply appreciated no matter the size and know that it's used to continue to reach others with the truth of the Word of God. We love you. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to being back with you on Maintain the Flame next week. God bless. 
Thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins. I want to ask you to please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you hunger for a greater passion for the Lord that will not dim or subside, then please subscribe and listen weekly to episodes that will encourage you in your walk with God. To learn more about my ministry, please go to keith-collins.org or impactgf.org.